So it was a mix of people. But in between them, there were some Caucasian uh, college students that went there, constantly mocking my son, uh, making fun of how he walked, how he laughing, how this and that, to make him to feel, uh, uh, to fall into depression. Wow. If, and he don't live with me here in Hawaii. He live in Texas. So when I, when I have one day that I didn't hear him calling me or something, I'm looking for him to see what's going on. My son was deep in depression because of the, the colorings and the pressure of the racism that was inside of the place that he thought he was safe. So we're talking now about religion. And it's only in the education field, but it's also religion. And it go on and on and on. So if we don't have the foundation of who he is, even though they impacted him hard with all of the things that they did to him, I still telling him how valuable he is and they don't pay attention to that people. Welcome to the Immigrant Experience in America, an immigrant human library, where we amplify and humanize the experiences of immigrants in the United States and around the world. Listen in as we add another story to our immigrant human library. If I wouldn't have the the, the self-control of my uh, ideas and characters. Even though when I got here, I was already 28 years old. Yeah. How would you change my mind? It's not the same thing that my kids got here. The, the older was six and the younger was two years old by that time. But it's still today that they are 30 years old and 27 years old that I still telling them, you're Black. And you need to study and you need to stand up for your rights. And you don't let nobody telling you that because you're black, you cannot be this or you cannot get a higher ranking. Because one is in the Air Force and, and, the, and the other one is in college. My son, at 27 years old, they have a physical disability and was, um, I will say, bullying by people from his own church. Okay? By not the college, the college was okay, but the people he he went there to make God, and they come to him with races and discrimination because oh of him gosh. being Hispanic. Yes. And I can understand that. So what my my son fate was trying to twist and say, well, I'm I'm in the house of God and I'm getting this treatment. I mean, what is this? I say, no, that's no God. Mm. That's no God. That's not Don't what God us. is telling us to do. I'll, I'll be Don't doing get an there. episode. I'll be doing an I'm episode so on religion demon- in America. <laughs> religion uh, in America and the madness, Sim- right? Yeah, Simon, I'm going to tell you this. I am glad that I went through all the things that I have been through in my life. Racism, discrimination, be rejected, everything. Because today, when I raise, I have five children, Simon. And no one of them will grow with the mindset that I was having before. I would not accept that to happen to my children. So when he get um, discriminated in his church because of his physical disability and because of all of the futures that go with that, because he has several policy, but his body is affected, not his face, not his mind, nothing. Because sometimes people thinking that because somebody who has several policy is incapable of anything. They got that wrong. And that's what I say so important that it's about study and get up, upgraded in science and education and everything. Because sometimes even educators make the mistake of discriminating students just because the way they look like, you think they are incapable un- to perform something. 
uh, in class or who knows what. Sometimes we as an adult have the problem, not the kid. Not the kid. But you imagine that he going to the the the, the um to hear the word of God, but in in the people in the congregation of that church, even though it was a black church, a black black people church, there were some. It was. Uh, I'm sorry. Let me let me rephrase this. The pastor was black. His wife was black, and his family was black. But it's a non non um, denominational, non denominational denomination exactly. So accepting everybody, right? So it was a mix of people, but in between them, there were some Caucasian uh, college students that went there, constantly mocking my son, uh, making fun of how he walked, how he laughing, how this and that, to make him to feel, uh, uh, to fall into depression. Wow. If, and he don't live with me here in Hawaii, he live in Texas. So when I, when I have one day that I didn't hear him calling me or something, I'm looking for him to see what's going on. My son was deep in depression because of the the colorings and the oppression of the races that was inside of the place that he thought he was safe. So we're talking now about religion. And it's only in education field, but it's also religion. And it go on and on and on. So if we don't have the foundation of who he is, even though they impacted him hard with all of the things that they did to him, I still telling him how valuable he is and they don't pay attention to that people that for me was people who don't have probably their parents educated on the way that you cannot discriminate somebody because either their their disability or the color of the skin. So now he's studying about microaggressions because I threw a uh, in one of my cafecitos because my son is the one that edit all of my my shows. And he heard the, the cafecito about microaggressions. And that helped him to learn more of what I even explained him. He he kind of now just passed, let's we'll say, a year or two ago that this incident happens and all that. And his faith never was uh, changed because of that. And then his value as a person as well has been more stronger now. Because now he knows how did they come and attack you? How did they come and talk to you? to try to either change your mind or to play with your mind. So continue wow. to tell your, 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 your kids about this. Don't, don't even accept that they, because, oh, it goes so far away. I mean, when, when my older son that is 30, when he was in high school, he got a history teacher that was telling him that we came out of the monkeys. Wow. I went crazy. I went crazy when I heard my son say that. We're nothing. We just came out of the monkey. I'm talking about years ago when he was in, in high school. And, and I'm like, no, this needs to change. It. So these are the type of things that you can hear me going passionate about it. Because it's like, it, it affects me. It was my whole life like that. It was a change in my life. Thank God that I had the opportunity to travel and also to get married with a with an Afri- African American, that he grew up knowing that he was black, not like me. They had grew up thinking that I was not black, and and it sounds funny because that's why my student like, how do you think that you would, you wasn't black if you don't you don't have a mirror in Panama? I said, yeah, I have a mirror, but I thought I was Morena. I never thought that I have to accept that I'm totally black because for me, black was something wrong. 
Right. I have to learn. I have to rebuild myself. Right. Because one side of your family is comes from both groups, you see. So you're you're mestizo, you're a mix of both. And so there is language that means different things. It's just when you're here in America, one drop means that you're you're African diaspora. And so it also means so now do, do you just not if you do your your DNA, you're going to see heritage from both mm-hmm. sides of the world. So do you just yeah. only claim the African part and not the other part? Because I do my DNA and I do my dad's and I do my mom and I see both sides from Europe and I see from the African continent. So does that mean I disown my father's side of family and only own my mom's side of family? That's just mad. So, I mean, mm-hmm. it doesn't even make sense. Some of the language that people put to, um, to dis- the language that people use to describe their experiences. Some of it doesn't quite make sense because it's not universal in different environments. There's different experiences that are taking place. And so people use different language to describe things. You see, it's mm. not wrong. Your experience of thinking that you were Brown, you are a mestizo. Right. And so yeah. I just don't understand. And so, but you also have to be careful when you're doing these tests because sometimes uh, they're not fully accurate. So you have to make sure, you know, depending on where you're going to get these, you know, you have to wonder who's behind these organizations and making sure that you're go, you're getting a cross section of research to make sure you're getting good information about where your roots yeah. are as well. And so, you know, my life, ha- my life journey has taken me from a place where race was never anything that existed in my mind. I was just a child, just learning, and I I interacted with everybody and never thought there was a dark-skinned person in my school that was less than me just because they were dark. That was never communicated in my school anywhere. I mean, everybody got the same education. Mm -hmm. Does colorism exist? Yes, right? The guys would want to go towards the lighter-skinned girls because, oh, they thought they were more beautiful or whatever. So, you know, but for me, in my head, that was just, okay, this person just likes that person. I didn't think it was because of race, but it has been, I was forced to learn about racism when I arrived here in the United States. And it's, it's been a harrowing experience for me, very sad at times. And so now that it's in psyche, I f- and I know it must be the experience or, or probably partly experience of a lot of immigrants who wasn't raised in with with this whole issue of racism or what race is. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, we were raised in environments that was more nationalistic, nationalistic. It's about the country. You you know, you're from this part of the country and you're you're all this. Right. It doesn't matter. We're a mix mm-hmm. out of many one people is the mother of Jamaica out of many one people. And so it can be traumatizing and it has been for me. And now I, you have to be careful what you're putting into your mind because then it becomes that it controls you. It controls what you think about and the world, the way you interact with people, the way you view the world. When you start taking in so much about this negativity that exists in this whole idea of racism and white supremacy, it starts impacting you and you re- and you have mm-hmm. to, be careful about how much of that you are ingesting in your system. And so for me, I wonder why do we amplify? I understand because people are still being harmed by it. And so the conversation needs to happen. Policies needs to change. Mm -hmm. Systems need to change. I get that. But there is just so much. I feel it it seems to be everywhere now. It's on social media, it's in the school, 
children are not being taught the truth. And then you, so you don't teach children the, his, the truth of the history of the country, but on the other hand, you demonize them and call them names mm-hmm. and put them down and you don't empower them to get out of the situation that they were born in or what they currently find themselves in. So it's just this madness in the psyche that I'm trying to make sense of that. It just, it's crazy to me, <laughs> but healing yeah. needs to- place and then in, and in order for healing to take place you have when you have war crimes they have the truth and reconciliation council right in geneva mm-hmm. when there are mm-hmm. war crimes people come together and they put the truth on the table and people get convicted and healing starts to take place once that truth is put on the table this happens and and what if there's an apology that needs to take place, it happens. And then the healing process takes place. But the longer mm-hmm. we stay in this place of denying the truth of what actually happens, then how long are we going to take to get to the healing? Exactly. All of us are impacted by the and that's That's when I say we need to, we need to bring solutions to the table, not just talk and talk and talk about the same thing. We all know the story. And that those who don't know, we can teach them. And we can share that with them. But what is the solution of this? It's a process. It's the process of reconciliation. It's the process of healing. And it's the process of acceptance. So that we can continue to, to live in this world. But, the, there, but there still yet is a struggle to come to mm-hmm. the truth. And, and to say this is in fact what happened. And I just, I, get, I can understand. The United States is such a powerful country. How are we not? teaching the truth in our schools it doesn't make sense to yeah. me it doesn't make sense tr- and it's just a it's just a like you know how many teachers will be willing to teach the truth and 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 are they prohibiting like really really prohibiting this to happen because they they letting happen a lot of things that many of us are not in agree for be teaching to to students or allowing this to happen is in school but why is such a problem to talk about uh, color, to talk about the truth, to talk about how African-Americans uh, came to the United States? Oh, no, came, I'm sorry, no, no, they, how African-Americans came to the United States, or what the reason why they're here. Because if the country is just for uh, Europeans, they came here and then white people and stuff, then why are we doing over here? How we got here? Anybody who who is just, any age, like that, like you say your daughter's four years old and already start seeing differences, will realize like, well, and then if this is your country, then how I ended up here, right? So those are the questions that by little, by kindergarten, they start having. We need to get a little bit and a little bit until they go all the way to um, high school and apply this to every, uh, like history, social studies, science, uh, languages that they hear this constantly because remember at home they receiving another information but then when they get to school they're receiving another one then they're going to have to put this together and then the more they get the information and proof and their real life resources not just video games not just uh whatever the social media is putting out there that's what I told my students. A lot of things that you see in the social media are not true. And no, I'm not talking about the, the, the color or stuff. Or a lot of things that they see are not true. 
Yes, they, they strongly yes. believe in what they see. Yes. So there is, unfortunately, is a lot of things out of control. Uh, I'm just focused in giving to my students uh, the best of my abilities of education that goes with real world scenarios with truths on it. Uh, I left my parents, my students' parents know by the first day of school in my syllabus, this is what they're going to study. So they have the opportunity to ask me more about it. Or if they don't agree, well, the student will withdraw the class. But it will be up to me to teach them the way I want it, which is to telling them the truth, to find their identity, to build a culture, and for them to feel welcoming classes when they come in, share their, their culture with mine and with anyone that we are learning through the, through the semester. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, I just I just don't understand this whole um mm-hmm. I suppose somebody who studies anthropology or history can fully explain like so it's okay for my child of African descent or from another uh, ethnicity to go to school and learn about Europe and nothing else but, but it's just not okay. Yeah, exactly. History about Europe that you're telling them they're not a part of right and mm-hmm. for it to appear that europe is basically the only country in the world that has value that brings about innovation and uh, you know has documented history but what about the rest of the world and the rest of other people i mean there's so much information that exists i mean i we're a country that you know that see you know this is where a lot of people come to find healing people who are fleeing war zones famine natural disasters persecution over in other countries this is where they come because this is where um lady liberty opens her arms and welcomes us and a lot of people find healing here this is the country where people because i feel like if i had remained in jamaica i probably would have been still existing in a certain type of bubble but my eyes Mm -hmm. and perspective has broadened since I've been here. So that has been the blessing. But on the sad part mm-hmm. of it, I get to see the good, the bad, and the ugly. And so we yeah, have- Yeah, but a-, a lot of people come here with the American dream and realize that here, the American dream is like a myth. They have to work. They are nobody here. So they have to put two, 10 times more than what they would do in their own country. Talk to a Hispanic person. They have come here as an immigrant. No, no, just like me. I think a, a little bit we're, we're like more easier because my husband was in the military. But someone who came even illegally or even legally with some resources, but very measured resources and trying to survive here with their color, their skin, their skin color, or with because they just Hispanic, period. It was not being easy for no one. So why? Because there is already a set of mind here in the country that we need to work on it. And what is, is, I mean, everybody talk about the American dream, but what is the American dream? A lot of people come here and crash because they thought that it was easy and it's not. You starting by having problems first, if you are illegal. Now, if you came here legally, then you start having problems because you don't have education or how you will get the education you need to can get to some such a level uh, the way you can have better job opportunities, right? So then they start working in work in jobs that are very low payment because, again, many other reasons. Uh, uh, 
uh, what you call the uh, racial status, um, immigrant status, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. No, everyone have the same opportunity, but I have talked to people who are, who have, who are immigrants and they say, sometimes I didn't know if I would be doing back, it would do better if I would just go back home. Because that, I thought that I was under oppression or something out there, but here is worse than that. Mm, there you go. Thank you for underlining that because that's why this podcast exists is to bring reality to the immigrant experience here in America, because a lot of people are living in what they see in Hollywood or on TV, on the music videos. Mm-hmm. And listen, yes. come here, you be prepared to work. <laughs> there was a video on social media where this uh, lady said that you will work till you die. And for some people it's yes. the truth because they're doing two, three jobs eight hour, eight hour, and they still can't make ends meet. And everything we eat or bring into our house, we have to pay for it. So make sure you do your resource and, and think about your, and particularly for people of the African diaspora, there is something Mm -hmm. that they call weathering because of you having to deal with the social pressures of all this negativity that's coming at you. When you were probably in your home country, you might be able to exist without having to deal with this added social pressure, but it is no joke. Okay. And you better be prepared. You will go through depression. You will go through anxiety, all sorts of cognitive issues, because now you have to grapple with this constant barrage of negativity that you are about what black means, what being African means about what it, you know, a person of color, what that all means. And you can't, all these negative messages that are coming at you. And so this is why we're here having this conversation. Please do your research before you take out all this. People take out loans, thousands of dollars just to get to the, mm-hmm. these shores. And be yeah. sure you know what is ahead of you before you take out those loans or put your life at risk just to get here. This is, a, don't get it wrong. There are opportunities and there is- they are and there are and there's beauty here but on the opposite side of that the reality is that a lot of immigrants go through challenging serious challenging times to make life and ends meet here important is also before we close this conversation is to for them to get to know who they are find yourself heal in yourself and then come and face what is what is going to be here or even if your own country, find your identity, accept who you are and get ready for what's coming. Yes, yes, yes. And I know we've talked a lot about education and the reality of what our children are being taught in school or what they're not being taught (laughs) and what needs to happen then for them to have a positive and more empowered experience for them to become the citizens that we want them to become. I wonder then, and you've alluded a little bit in and out, um, Rosa, about your immigrant mm-hmm. experience. What have you learned through over the years about through your own Im- immigrant experience, whether it be opportunities, challenges, or mistakes that you made that you, you might think might be helpful to another immigrant listening to you? Any message that you'd like to share with anybody today? Well, yes. I mean, I have a little bit of everything. 
I have to deal with uh, the challenge. I have to look for my opportunities, but I was able to overcome to all that through first, make sure that I know who I am, what was my value, where is my value as a, as a woman, as a person, as an immigrant, find my also my way what I want to study, go ahead and apply, get educated, get more and more education as I can, certificates, anything that it will help me to edify myself and then fulfill my goals. For the future, what I expect uh, on my own future is that I be able to bring more cultural resources, again, uh, help all the educators to find more experiences so that they can transmit uh, and bring or incorporate this more into their classes. But along with everything, if you are thinking about to come to the United States, uh, first of all, of course, do it legally. And after that, be ready to work because we don't come here for vacation. We come here to work. Either you are from here or you coming from outside, you will be here to work. This is not a country that that you can just come and have a good time. You're going to have your good time, but you got to work. And sometimes people get two or three jobs because it depends also of how well educated they are or, or until they get the opportunity to find their job that they are looking for. It's not impossible. It's not impossible, but it takes time and dedication and committed to fulfill everything that you have planned. But at the end, the reward is amazing. It can become the true American dream and it will always continue to be, but everything you do is also for the future of your family. The future generations that we as the teachers are trying to shape and put in the right path is what we're working with all of you. And that we also need the support from home when we are teaching something um, related to cultural diversity and all that, that you reinforce this in school, I mean, at home. And, and that, so that we can work simultaneously between community, with parents, with students, with everyone. I really appreciate, uh, Simone, that you have brought this subject of conversation today because for everyone who's listening out there about culture, about diversity, knowing that if you are not Hispanic, we are, Latin America is huge. It's not just one country, it's many of them. We are shaping different colors and forms and we are willing to, or excited to share the, the, every piece of the cultures that we can share with the rest of the world. My experience in the United States has been amazing. Focus on the positiveness, yes, has been amazing. That it was a hard work, yes, it was. That it was time where it was feeling myself discriminated, yes, it was. But because I found who I am, my values, and I and I strongly believe that being a woman of color doesn't mean that I'm less than anyone. That what it helped me to build my character and to put my foundation in myself and my family to can move forward in my life. That's what I have for sharing with you guys today. Thank you so much for hearing this uh, podcast with Simone. It's been amazing. Thank you very much for inviting me. I am very happy to have this conversation with you all today.
Very good, very good. So how do people connect with you, Rosa, with your PLC group on Facebook and otherwise any other services that you provide that someone, maybe a teacher or someone else in, edu in the educational um, space might listen, hear this and might want to connect with you to collaborate? How do they get in touch with you and connect with you with the PLC? Sure. Uh, I am in Facebook. Uh, it's called PLC Culture and Diversity. It's a group, it's a, a Facebook group for teachers and anyone who would like to learn more about culture. Uh, it's a private group, so you have to um, go to Facebook and type PLC Culture and Diversity, answer three questions, and then I get to uh, accept the people in the group. Then I also have a, a YouTube channel. It's called, again, PLC Culture and Diversity TV. Please, when you get to the channel, click like and subscribe. That help us to bring more resources, to have more interviews, and also get to more places that people maybe don't even have an idea and learn about their culture. And uh, I have my website. It's called uh, cafecitocultural.com. And in there, you can see also my curriculum, my different symposiums and strategies and stuff that I have worked with other educators. Inside of the cafecitocultural.com, you're going to find the Cultural Awareness Foundations for Educators, who was recently created to support, again, uh, educators and students to travel around the world and know from firsthand about culture and diversity. There is also a page in there for you to donate. It will be welcome for all of us to can promote um, scholarships and promote more the love for learning a language through students as well. Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, thanks for sharing that, Rosa. And I am so jealous that you're in Hawaii. I really want to move <laughs> there. Can you tell us a little bit about what life is like in Hawaii for you and your family and, and for people of African um, in the African diaspora? What has been your experience living in Hawaii outside of the mainland USA? Well, yeah, when we got here, I thought it was only will be for like the mandatory uh, time in the army, you know, three years. Ended up being seven years now because we I, uh, we retire here. The life in here, imagine to be in vacations all day, every day. It's just, it's a vacational uh, island. Um, to work in here, challenge, yeah. You got to find a job and they have a lot demand for teachers. But the reality is, is that teachers here need to work hard because Hawaii, it is expensive and it's not easy to just survive with one income. So sometimes they just get together, different teachers uh, rent an apartment, they work and live like that, but it's not impossible. It's nice, it's summer all year round, many places to go. I live a, a walking distance, I think it's like 10 minutes walking distance from the ocean. And it's been a paradise when I'm not working. I have to work every day as well. But um, after work, I can go get me a coffee and go sit down on the beach for a few minutes and forget about the heavy day or so. But it is beautiful. Hawaii is beautiful. I invite everybody to come over. Uh, let me know when you guys are coming. I take you around the island. I have done that with other teachers as well. Simone, you're welcome to come to Hawaii at any moment. Uh, summertime, of course, preferably. So I got the time to can share with you and dedicate the time and host uh, 
the the area and everything here in Hawaii it is super beautiful, but you have to work just like uh, in mainland. And here it's a little bit expensive, so save save some money to come over here. But uh, to live the everyday life in here, islands life is like every day you go to work, get out of work, you can go to the ocean, go back home, or go to your backyard, pick up some lemons from the tree or some mangoes. Everything is just there. Coconut. It's beautiful. I can't complain. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. And uh, how do you find that your children have feared, you know, growing up? Do you feel like there's a socially, like there was much more understanding, respect, you know, there's certain parts of the United States, like, you know, people might say in the South, it's, it's, there's a much, much more racial issues versus if you were in the Northeast or the Southwest. What, what is it like in Hawaii for like raising uh, children of African descent? See, in Hawaii, it's also like in Panama, it's, it's a lot of different races in here. So you don't see too much uh, discriminations. You can hit some of them. But like, let's say when I just got here, I thought I was in another country, not in Hawaii, because it's a huge amount of Japanese people in here. Of course, Hawaiian culture and uh, Filipino culture, they are the more stronger cultures in here. Some Polynesians as well. Uh, Hispanics and Black uh, African-Americans are very minority. That's the real minority here. It's kind of like the same level or so. Um, It's not like a place that you're just going to walk in the corner and see some Mexican restaurant. It's like a luxury here for the Mexican restaurant. So um, you got opportunities. I, I just strongly believe that if you don't have the education that came, because it's very competitive here in Hawaii, you got to have an education to can be able to compete in, in the industry here because there's a lot of people well prepared here as well. Um, through my children's, it was a nice place to raise them because it was out of a lot of um, drugs and alcohol use and stuff like that that you see in other countries or even maybe in mainland here it is exists but it's like far away from from them right and it's more focused on outdoor life with your family that having the some problems to just stay home and and don't have resources or access to healthy stuff or healthy activities my children's three of them was uh in schools here in hawaii they didn't experience any racism like that as the other two when they were in mainland. But um, they always have it in mind that who they are and uh, and be aware that they are a minority and that they need to study and get scholarships and succeed. My daughter graduated from the University of Hawaii. No problem. She's now back in mainland, professional, individual African-American woman that is capable to anything she wants based on the foundation that we gave her as a person, as a, as a child. And my last two, my set of twins, they also, uh, well, they're going to graduate next school year from the University of Hawaii, the School of Medicine. So it is how well prepared you are to can be able to succeed here. And, and it, I think it's in any place as well. But it is a good place to raise children, so I will say, from my experience. It's a good place for you to come for vacation. It could be a good place for you to leave. Again, you need to have the resources to be able to succeed, to not to succeed, but to um, 
to maintain a lifestyle here. My husband retired military. He's also a teacher, middle school social study teacher, and then myself as a teacher. So because of that background we have, we have been able to stay here for a while and own a house and property. And we used to have a business before the pandemic. So it's how you move, it's how you relate, it's how you deal with the day by day. It, yeah, it is It is not, diff, uh, not easy for a Black person to get some places or some levels here in Hawaii, because like I say, the majority here are Japanese. Okay, so you got to be on the same level of education to be able to be competing with those that are probably the majority and the ones that are will say I hire you or not, but not impossible. Not impossible. Besides that, it's a beautiful place. I always invite everybody to come over. I have many people that have asked me, do you think I could be, I would be able to live in there? Well, yes, but be ready for maybe two jobs if you don't have maybe someone in the military or some retirement already on your pocket, because it is not that easy as, as look like for vacations. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks for giving us a window into life in Hawaii. And we got a window into your life as you grew up as a child in, in Panama, as Afro-Panamanian as well. This has been quite enlightening, Rosa. Thank you so much for being so authentic with your story. You're welcome. I have no doubt that people will find value in, in listening and lots of encouragement um, weave throughout your our conversation today. Friends, as always, please subscribe, comment, and share if you enjoyed this interview. If you're passionate about telling immigrant stories, our team is looking for help. If you're willing to help with podcast production, social media, or Patreon management, please reach out to us. You can also donate on our Patreon if it's easier for you. All the links are in the description below. Thank you. We thank our listeners around the world and we appreciate your continued support as we build our human library. Please remember to give us a five-star review, subscribe and share with your friends, family and circle of influence.